0: Thank you, Brandon, and congratulations to Joe and Rebecca. It um, was one proud papa holding that baby. It reminded me of the psalm that talks about God looking down upon his people. And the, in the original Hebrew, it means that God couldn't take his eyes off of his creation. That's kind of the way I felt about Joe when he was looking at Marissa. He couldn't take his eyes off of his daughter. That's the way God feels about you. Uh, We're going to uh, come to the word now, and we always come to the word humbly. And so I'm inviting you, if you will, to uh, just as a symbol of receptivity, that you would extend your arms like this and open your hands. And Father, our prayer right now is that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds and our spirits to your spirit. Father, this is your word, and we desire that this word becomes part of us. And my prayer, Lord, is that every single one of us would be open to hear what you have to say to us. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Thank you very much. Well, today we are continuing our series of messages that we started two weeks ago Uh, entitled Survivor 2015, and we're asking the question, how can we possibly, as Christ followers, survive in a broken and lost world that we live in? And so this uh, series of messages is based on the little small epistle in the New Testament of James. And so throughout this eight-week series, we're looking at the different themes in the book of James, and I, I was thinking, um, I was thinking about k- kind of planning out the whole series. And here is the third week, and we're still in chapter one. So, if we don't do much in chapter four, that's okay. We'll we'll do what we can. But um, this is an amazing book because it speaks to us in a time when everything seems broken and sinful, in a very similar circumstance to James found himself in uh, two thousand years ago. So, for the first few moments, I want to give you some background, uh, kind of reminder, uh, 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 a recap of what we've looked at. Uh, And then for those of you who are new to this series, it'll help you kind of get caught up because we need to have this backdrop in order to understand our text for today. So the book of James was written by James, very good, you guys are really smart. Uh, James, but we don't know which James, there's a lot of them in the Bible, but what we decided was because of tradition, traditional, traditionally the churches claim that James, this James, was the brother of Jesus, okay, the younger brother of Jesus, half-brother, and um, he grew up uh, with Jesus and uh, probably came to faith uh, as an adult. Later he wrote this book, and uh, we know that uh, he was the leader of the church at Jerusalem, so, he's a very influential person in history. And we also know that he probably wrote this book somewhere between 50 and 55 and 60 AD, and that he was martyred uh, on 62 AD. We know that for sure that uh, James, the author of this book, was martyred on, in 62 AD. So, the context in which he's writing this, his book, is this Christianity is being set upon. Uh, by the Roman government, by the Roman Empire, as well as the Jewish religious center. And both of these groups are terrified of Christianity because it's getting bigger, and it's getting out of control, and there's a, there seems to be a loss of power in these other groups, and a loss of money in some cases. And so everybody pretty much is against the Christians. So there's this tremendous persecution, they had economic persecution, boycott. They weren't allowed to have jobs. They weren't allowed to own homes. All kinds of things were happening to where to kind of put the Christians as second-class citizens. In the midst of that, we have the emperor of Rome, Nero, comes along. He started in A.D. 54 and ruled until A.D. 68. So during this time when James was writing and the world was in an upheaval, Nero was leading. And as we mentioned last week, uh, he had what they called Nero's Circus, and it was a coliseum uh, that was dedicated to uh, killing Christians. And uh, in the first couple of years of Nero's reign, 54, 55, um, hundreds were killed, and then thousands, and then by the end of his life, tens of thousands of Christians were killed every year. And uh, they would put him in this arena, and they were um, uh, set upon by uh, wild animals, and if there wasn't enough light to keep killing Christians, they would put oil on Christians, put them on poles, and light them. And this went on and on and on. And uh, fathers were made to watch their, their wives and their children uh, be killed. And here's something interesting. Uh, we have historically, not Christian book, not the Bible, but historically, uh, we have no record of a Christian ever denying Christ. <laughs> All they do is say, okay, I don't believe, and then you're free to go. We don't have one record, any secular writer has never mentioned one Christian who got into this position and said, okay, I don't believe. So there was this powerful movement and even though Nero and the others were trying to reduce the movement, all it did was expand and expand and expand and, got, and just kind of got out of hand, at least for the enemies. And so that is the context into which James writes his story. And um, there's a lot of wonderful things in the book. What we looked at two weeks ago, we specifically looked at um, the word testing. And there's a lot of different words, but there's two major uh, themes. One is the testings and trials, and then later we looked at last week, temptations. So the testings and trials always have a purpose in mind, and um, the testings and trials also aren't well, God put this uh, so that I would stumble, or the devil made me do it, or uh, I was too severely potty trained, or any number of things. You always have somebody to blame, right? Uh, No, no, no. He says these testings happen for three reasons. One, because we sin. So some things happen to us negatively because we put ourselves in a bad situation. Okay, so that's one thing. Another reason bad things happen is because somebody else sins. Uh, Somebody else drinks too much, they get in a car, they run into your car and kill one of your children. Okay, that's a terrible testing, a terrible trial, and it had nothing to do with you in terms of uh, blame. The third reason is probably the most prolific. The third reason is we just live in a sinful and broken world, and things are going to go wrong. The enemy is the God of this world and everybody is going at cross purposes to Christianity and you're just going to have trials and temptations. So to that, God speaks about this word testing that regardless of what's the cause of the testings, God always stands in the midst of that test. And we looked at the story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where when they were in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar looked over and said, oh... There's another guy in there and we know that that was God, the presence of God. And so God has never promised to take us away from fiery furnace experiences. He has promised to be with us in the midst of fiery furnace experiences. So that was our first week. Trials and tests happen for a lot of reasons. They happen to all of us and in the midst of those we can somehow look on the other side, recognize that God is on the other side. And and because of that, we can be joyful and expect that God will make something good happen. Remember the 50-20 principle, Genesis 50-20. You intended it for bad, Joseph's, Joseph's brothers, God intended it for good. God promises, I'm gonna make good come out of those difficult times. So that was the first week about testings. Last week, completely different animal. Last week, we talked about temptations. Now, just by way of review, Uh, temptation is this kind of amoral thing just kind of hanging out there. It's not good or bad, it's just a temptation, right? But when that temptation, this is what we called the sin cycle last week, when that temptation is attached to your own strong desire, again, not your mom's fault, not your wife's fault, not God's fault, not the devil's fault, when that temptation is attached to to your own strong desire, in other words, something you have come to believe will satisfy you. Drugs, alcohol, sex, relationships, religion, gossip, whatever you have come to believe will satisfy you in this world, when you attach that strong desire to a temptation, that gives birth to sin. And what we looked at was this. So you take, uh, you take uh, uh, an egg and a seed in a normal kind of gestation process, process, Uh, And you put those two things together. and Those two separate things come together and they become a brand new separate thing, a brand new thing. So when you take your temptations with your strong desires, you attach those together, that gives birth to sin. And Paul says the rest of the sin cycles and when that sin is fully gestated, when that sin is fully matured, that gives birth, and this is a very strange word, that gives birth to death. Okay, so that's the sin cycle. Temptations, nothing wrong with temptations, they're just out there. When those are attached to your own strong desires, something you've come to believe will satisfy you. When those come together, they give birth to a new entity, which is called sin, and if that sin is allowed to grow and gestate and become fully mature, that leads to death. That's the sin cycle. That's what we looked at last week. So with that as a backdrop, let's look at today's texts. (coughs) Excuse me, today's text, James chapter 1, verses 17 to 25. And I'm inviting you to open your Bibles or your iPhones or your iPads or your smartphones. It's also printed in your bulletin in the sermon notes. It's also on the screen. We want the Word of God all around you, everywhere in you, by you, beside you. And at this point in the sermon, I always say to you what? Read your Bibles. Bibles. It's an amazing book. You'll be stunned and amazed at what's in it. It will help you grow, it will help you transform, read your Bibles. So, James chapter 1, verses 17 through 25, this is the word of God for the people of God at Hope Covenant Church. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose, to give the, uh, he chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? We, out of all his creation, became his prized possession. Understand this, James continues. My dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Verse 21. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God as planted in your hearts. For it has the power, listen now, it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise you are fooling yourselves. Now the word fooling in the New Living Translation in the NIV, it's deceive. And it's that idea that who are we fooling? We're fooling ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. By the way, the older you get, the less you glance in the mirror at your face. Okay, that's just just wanted to say that. Um, you see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. What Joe said in his testimony is that he wants God's blessing on Marissa. What James is saying, listen, I want God's blessing on every one of you. And the way that you receive God's blessing is by not just hearing the word, but by doing the word. And when we just hear it and don't do it, he said that is called deception. So that's what I want to look at uh, this morning in our text. The world is filled with deception. The world is filled with fakes, uh, fake fingernails, fake eyelashes, fake furs, fake jewelry, fake works of art, fake even money. We're up to our eyeballs with cheap imitations. It reminds me of a story uh, of a, a very wealthy physician who was going to throw an elaborate party for his wife. Who just graduated from a culinary arts school. She was a chef and she went to this very famous school and she was ready to show what a great cook she was. So her husband planned this elaborate dinner party and said, honey, you can cook as much or little as you want, but we're doing this to celebrate that you graduated and let's go. She said, you you can have everything else catered, but I want to do the hors d'oeuvres. Now, this woman was a first class nut Okay? And so here's what she did, knowing that all her friends and guests are going to be there. Um, She made hors d'oeuvres with dog food. Yes, hors d'oeuvres a la Alpo. Uh, And she took these tiny little delicate crackers, a little daub of Alpo, and then a little slice of uh, foreign cheese. A little, um, you know, olive, and then a slice, a tiny slice of pimento on top. As she served, and everybody was just raving about how wonderful these hors d'oeuvres were. They were so great until she told them what she did, and then they were mad and furious, and they were throwing up, and the whole, some of them even bitter on the legs. So you just, you just, you just, you just, you just don't want to do that. So, so that's deception, but you know, and that's funny deception. But you know what? Deception like we do deception kind of deceiving ourselves. There's nothing funny about that and there's nothing entertaining about that. Our world is filled with deception and deceivers and it's not just counterfeiters and terrorists. We are also faked out by our own selves and that's what the sin cycle is all about. In this next section of James 1, the author talks about uh, this deception and it looks like this. Okay, you hear the word of God. Wonderful. Sermon. Listen to sermon tapes. Go to BSF, go to Bible study. We have Bible studies for adults at both during both services in our, our different rooms. You go to small group, you go to all the different things we offer. Uh, you listen on the radio, the television. You have the word of God and you hear the word of God. You listen. Some of you take notes. You tuck them neatly in your Bible. All good. Here's the deception. The deception is, if you hear all of these things and take them in, but it has no impact on your life, you are being deceived. It's around you. It's beside you. It's in your book. It's in your notes. It's in your ears. It's in your head. But if it's not in you, James uses the phrase, in your heart. That's the phrase he uses in verse 17. In your heart. If it's not in you, then you have been deceived. So let's flesh this idea out of what it means to have the Word of God in you and not just around you. So let me make a couple of assumptions before we begin, because some of you are new to our church, some of you are not Christ followers, you're just investigating, which we love having you here. Some of you are saying, I'm not quite convinced where we're going with this Bible thing, but let me tell you what a couple of um, assumptions I will make um, as I'm preaching, so that you'll know where I'm coming from. The first assumption is this. I believe that the Bible is the Word of God. I believe that it's God-breathed, that it's not just a book, it's not just great literature like Chaucer or Shakespeare, but I believe it's the God-breathed Word of God. God breathed His life into this book, and I believe that this Bible is the Word of God. So that's my first assumption, and as I'm preaching, I'll be making that assumption often. Uh, The second second assumption that I want to share with you is this, that this Word has no bearing on your life until it goes from your head to your heart. This word, let me give you an example. Satan, the devil, knows more of the Bible than you do, okay? But it has absolutely no bearing on his life. He just knows it, okay? So we, somehow we have to get past the idea of just knowing God or knowing the Bible and literally having him or this word of God in our hearts, So that's my assumption. So we're going to look at two things today, two things that the Word of God is. The Word of God is revelation, and the Word of God is transformation. So let's look at that first word, revelation. Look at verse 21 in our text. So get rid of all, uh, yeah, get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the Word of God. Listen as planted in your hearts. Not just accept it. Okay, I believe it. It's, you know, whatever. But accept it. God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your souls. The power of God's word to attach itself to your heart and literally to save your soul. So we're talking about revelation and transformation. So on Wednesday morning... Um, we had a um, Ash Wednesday little service, okay? It was uh, from 6 to 9 a.m. Some people like uh, Joy Boydston, I don't think, did I say your name out loud? I just did, didn't I? Uh, She showed up at 6 p.m. at night because she didn't read her bulletin. But most of us uh, showed up at 6, between 6 and 9 a.m. to have the imposition of ashes placed on our heads. And it was kind of, it was a sign, a mark that you are confessing your sins, that you are desiring to live a pure life and follow Jesus. So um, it's kind of cool. And uh, people say, well, isn't that a Catholic tradition? No, that predated Catholicism. That's been around for a long time in Christianity. So we did that on Wednesday morning. So I did the, uh, Ryan did the six to seven hour. I did the seven to eight hour. Brandon did the eight to nine hour. Sherry came in the eight to nine hour. And uh, so she got the imposition of ashes on her forehead, um, uh, and she left, went home, didn't think about it. We had a a service guy coming that day to fix our garage door, so she had to stay home and be there for that. So when I got home for lunch, Sherry was in the driveway talking to this serviceman, and uh, he had finished the garage, and they were just chatting. He was a Christian, so they were chatting. They'd been talking for about 15 minutes. Well, the first thing I noticed is this black stuff is all over Sherry's face, all the way down. Obviously, she hadn't looked in the mirror. She, She looked like Braveheart, only it was black instead of blue. And so I had all this stuff on her face, and I kept kind of looking at her like this, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to, whatever I do or say in that moment, I'm going to be wrong, so, you know, you know, I, you know so I did nothing, right? So, you know, it kind of took the safe way. So after the guy left, I said, do you might want to look in the mirror, you know, because the guy, service man was kind of looking at her too, you know, thinking she was, uh, you know, something, a raccoon or something. So Sherry went into the bathroom, and I heard this scream, you know, and uh, Oh, she saw it. Okay. So, uh, of course, uh, the easiest way to do it is to blame Brandon. Somehow he did it wrong. But the bottom line is this. Here's the deal. She was marked. She was marked. And let me tell you this about my wife. Every morning for at least an hour and many times longer, she sits in our living room with the Bible open, studying, praying, and hearing God's voice. She is marked with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not just something on your forehead. That's external. We're talking about something that's internal, being marked by the word of God in our lives. So uh, Ryan had this wonderful um, rubric, uh, this wonderful little ceremony for uh, uh, Ash Wednesday. And um, uh, on, on the sheet where it had different verses to read, it had a passage that was really powerful. It was Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. A very uh, Ash Wednesday, Lenten kind of verse. But listen to this verse, Joel 2, 12 and 13. That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing. That's external, okay? The, the fashion of the uh, in the Old Testament, the, Ju- the Jews, when they were repenting of their sin, they would tear their clothes to show that they were really sorry to God. He says, don't do that. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Open your hearts to God. Return to the Lord your God, for He is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not Punished. Come away with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Not an outward tearing of your but a tearing of your heart. We, we need to be, have our hearts marked by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, that's what James is talking about. Let the word of God be planted, literally take root in you, to be enmeshed in your life. This is not a flyby, but this is a, a deep, abiding relationship with God through Jesus Christ. His word is true, and it can be attached to your hearts. So let's look for a moment about this idea of revelation from the text. The first verse we want to review again is verse 19. And here, James says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Quick to listen and slow to speak. That means being eager and attentive and ready to hear God's word. It means grasping every opportunity or taking advantage of every moment to listen to God through the spoken or the read Word of God. It means using our ears. We have two ears, one mouth. Use that when it comes to listening to God and listening to the Word of God. God has given us this opportunity and we need to use them to allow the Word of God to go from our heads to our hearts. We need to claim the Word of God as our own. So this uh, last week, um, I met with a person that was struggling in their Christian life, and, and I suggested that he try something that I've been doing for a couple of years. It's a discipline I learned at a retreat we did a couple of years ago. And what I call it is just simply a, a seven-minute sabbatical. And throughout the day, I'll uh, go out of my office and just walk around the church or outside and uh, just say, Lord, here I am. I want to hear you. I don't bring my shopping list of all the things I want God to do for me. I don't bring all of your needs, which we always want to pray for. I, don't, I, I just say, Lord, I just want to hear you. I just want to be responsive to your voice. Because too many times we don't hear God because we're too busy talking. We're too busy praying, Say, God, I need this, I need this, I need this. It's like he's a cosmic Santa Claus. Come on. This is the God of the universe who wants a relationship with you. The God of the universe, who has marked you as one of his children, and he wants a relationship with you. And so I I invited this guy to do that, and I I think he's been doing that. You know, where you, you, every day, several times a day, you can do that wherever you work. You you all have breaks. So you get up, you walk around, go outside, and just have this time alone with God. We need to listen, and we can't listen if there's always noise. And many times the noise is our own voice. Turn off the radio, turn off the TV, turn off whatever electronic device you have and just listen to the Lord. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Listen to God. But then it says also that we need to be slow to anger. It's interesting that it almost doesn't fit in this text, but it really does when you look at the context. A heart full of resentment doesn't have any room for the word of truth. A heart that's filled with anger and unforgiveness has no room for the word of truth. The word of truth just has to stay in your head because there's no room in your heart. We need to be free from that kind of anger, that kind of bitterness that's a root of bitterness, Paul says, and we've got to be free from that and allow the word of God to take hold. And then verse 19 says that we also need to be, or verse 21 says, we also must get rid of all moral filth and evil in our lives. Now, I'm going to tell you something now from the text that you're not going to like, okay? It's this. When it says get rid of in the language that the Bible was written in, it means a continuous action. In other words, you're constantly getting rid of filth, etc., etc., etc. I know if you're like me, you want to say, okay, God, forgive me for that filth, Right? And you want to be freed from that, and now I don't have to worry about it for the rest of my life. No, this is a continuous action. It's called sanctification. As you're growing into Christ, as you're growing up in your faith, you constantly have to be aware of this filthiness in your mind and your heart. So what does that filthiness mean? Well, we won't go into all this. You already know what the sins are. You know what those things are that you've come to believe, uh, that your own strong desires is attached to a temptation. But what he says is this, that this word of filthiness literally means from the text, wax in the ear. Wax in the ear. So when our, boy, our youngest, Tyler, was a little boy, he used to have trouble with wax in his ears a lot. And he would build up, sometimes Sherry could get it out, and other times we'd have to take him to the pediatrician and, di- and just big lump of wax, and every time you'd take that out, he'd go, you know, I can hear again, right? right? But if you have wax in your ears, how are you going to hear anything, right? That's, that's the word that's used here. You know, that we, we've got to make sure that we take the wax. That's what filthiness and sin does in our life. It fills our ears with wax. Maybe you remember the film 15, 20 years ago, Captain Corelli's Mandolin, okay? Uh, it was a good movie and uh, set in Italy during World War II. And the one guy was a doctor and another guy was going deaf. And so he came to see the doctor and the doctor poked around and he pulled a pee out of his ear. They've been in there for years, right? And the guy said, I can hear. Now, a week later, he came back and said, put the pee back in. My wife's driving me nuts. But that's a whole different subject, okay? We're not going to talk about that. But the fact is, when we don't deal with this filth and these things in our lives that are sins, they're, they're like taking root. It can't, our, our heart can't take root with the Word of God because we have wax in our ears. We're not hearing the Word because we've got all these other things Going on, so James is calling us to receive the truth of God's word. To to do that, we must prepare ourselves. We must prepare ourselves to receive that word. So, what do we do with that filthiness and those things that are constantly in our heads and our minds, always trying to attach itself to a temptation? What do we do with that? Well, when I was in college, my um, my grandfather had died when I was a freshman in college. The following summer, my grandmother's house—now she's a widow—was in disrepair, and uh, my dad and I talked about this, and uh, he said, "You know what would be really neat, uh, Dwayne, if you would paint Grandma's house during the summer when you have some extra time." And I agreed. Now, we had that talk. That means he wasn't going to do the work I was. So, you know, that's what kind of talks fathers have with their sons. And uh, but that that summer, I painted her house. But I remember my grandfather, who was a carpenter and a cabinet maker, always telling me, "Do it, do it right the first time. Right? Measure twice." Cut once, right? That was his thing. And when it comes to this house, these were wooden, wooden uh, 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 la- kind of lath pieces. On a, They were just about three inches, so they were, it was a big house, and all of this paint was curling and everything. He said, in order to do this paint job right, you've got to take all of that crud off, okay? You've got to scrape it all off. You've got to wire brush it all. That's going to take you longer than the painting itself. But to do that, my grandfather used to say, if you don't prepare the wood properly it ain't going to stick. That's what Grandpa Price used to say. The paint ain't going to stick. Well, here's this. If you don't prepare your hearts properly for the Word of God, it ain't going to stick. If you still have anger and bitterness, if you still have sin, filthiness, and all those things hanging on to your heart, if it hasn't been dealt with, if it hasn't been confessed, if it's still in you, that Word of God is going to stuck right up here in your head, and it's not going to get to your heart. We have to prepare our hearts to receive the Word of God. That's revelation. How about transformation? That's the second part. Look at verse 22 of our text. For if you listen, excuse me, yeah, verse 22. For if you listen, I've got to back up here. Um, There we go. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling or deceiving God yourself. So it's not about just revelation. Okay, I've got notes in my Bible. I've got a lot of head knowledge. You know, I'm ready to go. I can talk about the Bible. I can talk about God. I can talk about Jesus. He said that's not enough. It's got to make that journey from your head to your heart that's 18 inches down right deep inside of you. All the stuff has to be taken away. All that filthiness literally has to be taken off like clothing, old clothing, to put on new things. And that's when you find yourself transformed by the power of of God. So when I was uh, in school uh, playing football, one of my favorite parts of uh, football were the chalk talks. Now, and the coach would get up there and say, here's a play we're going to run, and here's what we're going to do, and, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and everybody's really into it. And so I loved the chalk talks when I was a player. But later when I was a coach, I was coaching Nathan's eighth grade football team, and um, uh, I, I would do the same thing. I love child, I'd love show them here's all the plays and getting the kids excited. And now let's go out and practice those plays and then you go out and play them in the games, right? So it's pretty awesome. And there's this one kid. He was the smartest kid in the room. You know how those kids are? Those are the kids that play sports for one semester and then decide that it's stupid and uh, because they're smarter than everybody else in the room, right? And this kid was just a smart kid and, and he was the guy that knew every play he could tell every player, this is what your responsibility in this play. This is what you should do. This is what you, how you should block. This is how you should tackle. He could do But when it came time, I'd say, hey, uh, Jimmy, it's time for you to get in the game. You know, he was one of the worst players, so you put him in last. It's time for you to get, hey, coach, I don't want to go in the game. The kid loved chalk talks. He loved the sidelines, right? He loved to think about all the things you could do, but he didn't want to get in the game. Might fumble. Might get hurt. Might get tackled. Something might go wrong. Yep, all those things are possible. But you'll never know until you get in the game. We have to be transformed by the power of the word of God. So the Greek word for listen, this is really cool, in verse 22, the Greek word for listen means literally audit. Okay, so don't just be auditors of the word, but do the word. So we know what an audit is. So when I was in Minnesota, um, I several people had told me, you know what, you should you should pursue your D-men. I, I got a, a master's back in 1978, and all my life I thought, well, maybe I should pursue a, a doctor of ministry, is what they call it for pastors. A D-men, so I... I you know, I don't know. It takes a lot of time. So I said, okay, when I was in Minnesota, okay, I'm going to do, do this. My kids were grown up out of the house, so we didn't have that to deal with. And so I'm going to do this. So uh, first class I took at Bethel Seminary was a class I really wanted to take. It was called Christianity and Science. So two of my biggest loves, right? Christianity and Science. So I wanted to take that class. But here was my decision. Because I was busy and because I didn't want to work too hard, I audited the class. Okay, so here's what it looks like. After a first week of class, I'm listening and it's cool, but I don't have to take notes because I'm auditing the class. So I'm listening and I'm paying attention. It sounds good and I'm, 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 having, you know, I'm having comments and everything. And then the first test comes along and the professor says, okay, be sure and study the first 20 chapters or whatever and the test is going to be on Friday. Well, I didn't study that stuff again. I didn't have to go over it. I wasn't going to take the test. And then later in the semester, you got a paper due next week, and it's got to be this and that and the other. I don't have a paper due. And so as I started going to class, I started noticing that I would daydream a little bit. I'm not really paying attention. And then, well, you know what happened? I ended up not going to the class anymore. I audited the class. Now, two summers ago, I went to Regent uh, Seminary up in Canada uh, on my sabbatical. And we spent two weeks there, and I took a class from J.I. Packer on Second Corinthians. I didn't audit the class. First of all, J.I. Packer's the kind of guy you don't audit. <laughs> He's a brilliant theologian. And I prepared beforehand I read and studied second Corinthians that's what the class was on and I took copious notes and uh, every day I would come home and tell Sherry about what I'd learned and then after the I took the tests and I wrote the papers and after that was all over uh, we went to a retreat center after that Rivendell and during that week I I studied what I had learned and I'd put all that into uh, seven sermons on second Corinthians I preached those last spring and and I didn't audit the course And that course impacted me profoundly in my life, my personal life and my pastoral life. It effectively, because I allowed the word of God to go from here to here. You can't audit your faith. You can't audit your Christian life. Well, I've got a Bible, I read it, I go to church, I do the list, I check off my prayer time. I check off the. I, gave, I said a little a prayer when I was tw- 10 years old. I, I was baptized. I check, 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 check. You can't audit Christianity. The purpose of any time the Word of God comes in you has to be transformation and not just doing the list. We had a, um, a man in our church that I grew up in, uh, Don Stambeck. And Don was one of my teachers when I was younger. You've heard me tell stories about Harry Littlebridge. This is a different guy, Don Stanback. And um, he was my teacher. I used to love him, I used to enjoy him. Uh, I knew his daughters. And it wasn't until many years later that we found out that Don had been a sexual predator with little boys in our church. We know at least two, there might have been others. And um, Don knew the Bible, all the verses. Nobody knew the Bible better than Don. Don had sound doctrine. He knew what he believed and why he believed it. Don even knew how to witness. But Don had no life in Christ in his heart. The Word of God was up here, but there was something very wicked down here. We can't audit our lives. James said, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Jesus was facing that time in his ministry when he knew it was close to when he would have to go to the crucifixion. He was meeting his disciples in the upper room and as they gathered there, uh, there was no servant because it was a rented room And so a servant usually was there to wash their feet. And it was very disrespectful to go into a a room or a home um, with dirty feet. And, of course, all these guys had dirty feet. That's all there was was dirt, right? And so Jesus walks in, and there's 12 dirty-footed disciples sitting around a table, no servant in sight. And Jesus said, okay. So he picked up the basin, picked up a towel, started washing their feet. Can you, wouldn't you like to be a fly in the wall there? The uncomfortableness. Oh, and you know, John's saying, you know, Peter should have done that, you know? And and Peter said, no, Matthias should have done that. No, Matthias, you know, and everybody's blaming somebody else. Nobody thought, well, I should have done it, right? And Jesus is washing their feet. And then after he's done, Jesus said, now, do you know why I did that? Yeah, because our feet were dirty. No, that's not really why I did it. I did that because I wanted to serve you. And I wanted to express my love to you. And I would just show you how much you matter to me. So I wanted to serve you. I said, do you understand that? Yeah, we understand it. We get it. We get it. Okay, well, I'll put it in my notebook. Okay, I'll put it in my iPad. Okay, I, I, so I won't forget. No, no. He said, do you understand what I'm telling you about loving another human being, even if it's something dirty like washing their feet? Do you understand what I'm telling you? He said, yeah, yeah, we get it. He said, okay, then go and do likewise. Don't just know it. Do it. Don't just say it. Go out and love somebody. Don't just say, you know what? I got this wired. I got the verse. You know, I'm, I can check off the list. You go out and do the work of the ministry with a heart full of love and a life full of Jesus. You do it. So how many of you are old enough to remember the old Wendy's hamburgers commercial with Clara Pellers? Okay? You're old, okay, if you raised your hand. So it was a Wendy's commercial back in the 70s and 80s. And uh, this little old woman would go into another hamburger joint, not Wendy's, of course, and she would look, and there's this gigantic bun, and in the bun, there's this little tiny piece of hamburger. And Clara used to say what? Where's the beef? Okay? She said, are you kidding me? This is a hamburger? This isn't a hamburger. I'm going back to Wendy's. You know, they have real hamburgers, you know? Well, the whole point of that was something so significant as a hamburger, it was so small, it just didn't even matter. So here's the question about whether or not you're auditing your Christian life. Where's the beef? Where's the substance? I'm not talking about quoting scriptures. I'm not talking about, I've got my doctrine nailed down. I'm talking about, where's the beef? The beef isn't knowing many Bible verses or reading sermons or hearing sermons. It's how many we live out. The beef isn't whether or not we keep a prayer list. It's whether or not we pray. The beef isn't whether or not we know the three Greek words for love in the Bible. It's whether or not we love our enemies. That's where the beef is. God says, listen, I'm glad that you're listening to the word. I'm glad you're hearing it. Make sure you take the wax out of your ears. Make sure that you clean out so that you can, I'm glad that you're hearing the word of God and that you've got a, a Bible and you've got your notes tucked neatly. I'm glad for all of that. But listen, listen, if it doesn't get down here, and if it doesn't affect you and the way you live your life then it is nothing. A missionary was visiting a cannibal tribe. He asked the chief, "Do you people know anything about religion?" Well, explained the chief, "We got a little taste of it when the last missionary was here." We don't we don't want a little taste of religion. We don't want to audit our lives in Christ. The time that uh, Jesus really was able to confront Peter after he denied him, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, was on the shore of the Sea of Galilee when Jesus was feeding the disciples breakfast. He set them apart and he said, Peter, I want to ask you a question. Peter's very humble at this point, very shameful, uh, even though he's been forgiven by Christ and Here's what Jesus said. Peter, do you love me? And Peter probably thought, what? What kind of question is that? I've walked with you for three years. I I know all, I've I've memorized all the things you've said to people. I'm willing to cut off an ear for you. Yes, I, I love you. He said, well then, then feed my sheep. Three times. Jesus said, I don't want to hear that you know about me, I don't want to hear that you understand my ministry, I don't want to hear that you've got good doctrine. If you love me, then do something about it. Feed my sheep, take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. So how often do you translate your knowledge, your life in Christ in your head, how often do you allow that to sink deeply into your soul, to take root in your soul, so that you don't just talk about the love of Jesus You show it to your enemy, to your neighbor, to your friend, to someone, and you love them so profoundly and you love them so beautifully that they, after a time or a season, they ask you why. That's what God's called us to do. Folks, let's don't audit our Christian life. Let's do everything we can to not just hear the word of God, but to do it. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, it's too easy to audit our Christian lives it's too easy to go through the, the, all the things that we've believed we should do and go to church, read our Bibles, pray, do all those things. But, Father, to actually live out the life of Christ, to love people the way He loved people, to be compassionate, to be a servant, all of those things that He actually to live that life is so much more difficult. Lord, my prayer for myself and for each one of us in this room is this. Lord, may we have our hearts so open to your spirit that we fully receive the word of God into our minds, into our hearts, so that people see in us the love of Jesus every day and in every way. For that, Father, we pray your blessing on each and every one of us and give us the courage to live fully the word of God.